Hello everybody, welcome to We Need Another Meeting. I am Joshua Tolman, and sitting here next to me is our good friend and fellow product manager, Mr. Kyle Jacobson. Hello everybody. So everybody, Kyle and I have been working together for many years. A long time. Since product was invented, since back when it was project <laughs> management, and then fortunately we, we fixed it before SaaS. And there's been this common trend across all the companies that we have worked at. That is that we want to move up market. We want to go after the enterprise. We want to enterprise our product. That's right. So we thought that would be a good topic to talk about with everybody else because this comes up all the time. We want to enterprise our product and that is simple. It's just not that simple. So we thought that'd be a great topic to talk about. So Kyle, why do companies, why is it that every company that we go to wants to enterprise their product? Money. It's always about money. And the interesting thing about this, Josh, is that uh, my experience has been every company that wants to move into the enterprise space, um, they want to start with the product. And I, and I think a lot of the, yeah. the company leaders that we, we work with believe that the organization is going to change if the product changes. But the reality is, is that it's not just the product. It's the entire machine. It's the entire organization. We're going to talk about that. Uh, in just a few minutes, but you ask why it's really about it's about money. Yeah, you can't enterprise your product. You have to enterprise your company. That's a whole lot more than just adding um, SAML login or something else like that. But money mm -hmm. and and to be more explicit on that, it's all about customer acquisition costs. Because I think most companies start out and they, particularly the SaaS companies that you and I have worked with, they they start out and they're solving some pain for small companies. You know, maybe 50 yep. employees, maybe 100, a couple hundred employees. That would be a big company. And the, Average but, deals, really small. Yeah. I mean, if, they, yeah. if they're making a few thousand bucks uh, a month off an account, like that's a great deal. The sales cycle's super short. The yeah. sell process is easy. Yep. You're honing in how you talk to the market at that stage of the company. And yep. right, Well, then eventually someone comes in with an MBA and says, hey, we can go sell to these bigger companies over here. And the primary reason for that is because of the acquisition costs. Because the, you can make you make more money with them, it it costs more to make more money with them. But if you get more of them, the acquisition costs are lower. Does that make sense? I feel like I stumbled all over that. But yeah, you, I I really did. That's for sure. But the, if you can get a few thousand companies paying you a lot more money, that's a whole lot easier than getting ten thousand companies all paying you a little bit. That's right. It's just a lot, a lot easier. And to and the acquisition being your marketing efforts, your sales efforts, yes. your retaining, like just like think about retaining 10,000 customers versus retaining 100 customers. No, absolutely. It's much easier pro uh, um, a job. Flying and, a salesperson uh, out to go demo the product to them. I mean, all, all of those costs certainly play yeah. into it. So companies will start out with this like couple hundred employees. And then like I said, that MBA comes in and says, we're going to go pitch after these, these companies over here and we're going to move up market. And that's primarily why we were both, um, just everybody knows Kyle and I, we were talking about this before. We were both at a project management software company. It's where we worked together. And we used to like celebrate how the number of companies who were using us was going down. Like that was the, considered this like great thing. We're making the right move in the right direction because every year they would up the sales floor We'd price out more and more of our current customers because even though the number of companies was going down, the amount of money we were making was going up. We we're making more yes. money off less accounts, and that was our CEO strategy. He came in with that strategy. Like it was kind of funny how much they would celebrate how 
how much fewer companies were using us now. Yeah, but, I do remember this. And it, the other thing is, is that there's there's just more money to be made in the enterprise space than there is in the other other markets. If you break down the market altogether, right? There's yeah. far more companies in um, you know the zero to ten range than there are in say a ten thousand plus employee company. Yeah. Um, but you're still going to make more money off of those very few opportunities. And there's more money to be spent in those very few opportunities than um, what you get with that yeah. uh, huge number of of, uh, of zero to ten type employees. Josh, I think you had some yeah, stats on yeah, that. Yeah, I do have some good data. So on, I got this off of, um, let's see, the blog is called Compile.com. They're referencing U.S. Census and IRS data. But they mentioned 96% of companies in, in the U.S. have less than 50 employees. And it's crazy. You look at this chart and like less than 10 employees, there's four and a half million companies with less than 10 employees. And then you go up to the 500 to 1,000 employees, 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 10,000, which is generally where we're trying to sell what the companies we're at now. And there's not, there's not even 10,000, there's not even 20,000 companies in, the, yeah. in that graph. And there's 5 million at the sub 10, 000, sub 10 employees. So it's kind of crazy when you look at this chart and you say, that's where everybody wants to move. They want to move up here where there's only a few thousand companies, but they want to do that because those few thousand companies generate 80% of the revenue that's made across all of those. They make tons of money up there with those few really big companies. So given that, Josh, when should companies enterprise their product? Let's, let's, let's phrase it as enterprising your product. When should they? Um, I think it depends on a couple different things. Curious your thoughts on this too. So it feels like you grow at some point where you realize that those SMBs, those small companies, um, and it largely depends on your product and what it is you're trying to do for them. So that, it's a hard question to ask in terms of when, but you got to look at your acquisition costs and say, are we making more money than we're spending signing on these companies? Right. Now, if you're an, so, a, an Intuit using, I don't know, TurboTax or what is, the, what is their accounting software or something else where, where people can just sign up by themselves, there's clearly still some costs, but they're going to be pretty low and those costs are going to be distributed across all those accounts. So in the end, you're going to make more money. But if there's some human involved that's doing something and in most, most B2B software there is, you got to look at that cost and go, this doesn't make sense anymore. We have to find bigger companies that justify this cost. I don't know. What do you think? Did I miss anything there? No, I, I think um, a good rule of thumb is when should you start to enterprise your product? I it's it takes it takes years to do it. First of all, it's not an overnight process, um, and as we'll talk about in a minute, it's not just your product; it's your entire company. Yeah. So I think as you start to get pulled into enterprise deals, that is when you start to explore the possibility of, of enterprising. And enterprising can come in stages, right? Uh, you think about enterprising on one end of the easy end is, hey, just having some kind of legal documentation or legal agreements that enterprises are willing to, to sign. Yeah. Um, that's a very easy thing to accommodate. Whereas you look at internationalization and localization of your data and your product, uh, that is you know, the other extreme far end. And in between is about oh, four to five years. Yeah. Uh, and it's that yeah. four to five years, it's really tricky. So I would say, at, when should you do it? It's when you're, you start to get pulled into those deals, that's when you should start to kind of chip away at enterprising your product. And 
Uh, that's what I would suggest. You know, here they um, reference where I'm working now, Apple. When we sold to Apple, Apple was like the big deal that really changed what we're doing here at the company I'm at now. Um, and when we sold to them like that, that apparently was the first like really big enterprise deal. And it led to all sorts of stuff, both in, on the software side, on the customer success and support and all of that kind of side. Like there's a, I would bet most companies, there is that one account they sold, one or two, or maybe, there, I, I don't know, maybe there's a group of them that really kind of drug them up market and made them go, oh, maybe we should move up there. Because if we just sold, if we just sold four or five of these, that's our whole year's quota right there. And we're all done. I'm betting there's something like that in almost every one of these companies that have gone through this. So Absolutely. But we wanted to try to kind of paint the picture of what to expect. So particularly any product people out there, um, if you're at a startup and your CEO comes and says, oh, we just need to enterprise, we're going to go up market, and it'll be really easy. It'll just take like three sprints. We just need to add SAML support, right? Single sign-on. <laughs> done. That's all we need. Yeah. We wanted to give you some sort of, of preview into, into what all is entailed across all the different um, parts of the company that we've seen. And this is hardly an exhaustive list. It's just kind of what, what we think. Yeah, and before we even get to the product piece yeah. about what you need to do for your product to make it enterprise worthy, let's talk about all of the other functions of your business that you need to make sure are also performing at an enterprise grade. Because if you have an enterprise product, uh, that's one thing. But if you don't have, for example, um, enterprise support around that, it's going to be troublesome. So let's start with the very beginning of most businesses, and that's marketing. So they're going to have to change the way they speak to the marketplace. They're going to have to also consider offering uh, enterprise packages or solutions that are developed just or, or kind of carved out just for the enterprise space. So they may have uh, new names for the products themselves, um, but they definitely are going to be speaking to the market differently. And, and what I mean by that is like from your website to the content that you create, uh, everything is going to be and have and should have a slant of of enterprise it does seem like from what i've seen my experience curious about yours as well um companies i've been at that are going through this multi-year process to really enterprise feels like marketing is one of the last pieces to finally get really tuned we are selling to the enterprise i don't know why that is and maybe it's just that purely anecdotal but it feels like that's one of the, it it kind of gets pulled along by sales who is really trying to go after the enterprise um, but it feels like it takes a little while for marketing to catch up and to really get ahead of that in terms of, of mm. crafting that message and really getting fine-tuned on, man, on generating those leads and all, all that kind of stuff. It's just, and it's nothing against marketing. It's just it's a hard transition. Well, I can see that. I mean, and it makes perfect sense because if you don't enterprise, say, for example, your sales practices or your your CSM practices or your support practices, well, that's going to be a very acute uh, pain that your customers are going to be aware of. They're going to let you know immediately if your account management program is subpar, yeah. right? But they they don't care if your marketing program is subpar. Yeah. Especially the early stages of trying to enterprise your 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 organization, you're going to start to get pulled into deals rather than trying to to, to attract them. So yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that they would be maybe the last group to um, to kind of get uh, involved. Yeah. Sales is the next piece. And I don't know anywhere I've been that tried doing this that didn't turn over their whole sales team. Um, sales is second. Uh, yeah, I second that as well. I, it's just it's a completely different beast. You go from salespeople who are just taking orders. That's all they're doing. I mean, they're 
they're just one step up from support where someone calls them and says, here's what I want, and they take the order. That's right. To salespeople that have to go in out and pitch ROI and bring all these stakeholders together. And credit to salespeople as much as we love to, to rag on them when we, when we can. Like, it's not easy selling to an enterprise. It is so much harder now than it used to be. Like, there's so many stakeholders and so many issues when it comes to selling in an enterprise. And there's a couple of things here that um, I think your point about um, seeing a team turnover, a lot of these teams that we're going to be talking about, I think actually you see almost 100% turnover in all of these teams eventually. Yeah. Um, So think about a sales experience. So one, the sales cycle is going to be much longer. There's going to be far more people involved in the decision-making process. This means that sales reps uh, are going to be spending a ton of time doing RFIs and RFPs, which are just like the worst things ever. Yeah. You uh, will it's like hate those it, <laughs> and product will get pulled it, into them and you will curse every day a salesperson slacks you and says this crazy technical question and says what does this mean and you will go rfis i hate you <laughs> it's the same feeling when i hear people talk about mrds or prds I, people still talk about these things and it's a, what what century are you from um but move it along so you're gonna have um issues with price integrity so th- and this is the tricky thing uh, because Look, enterprises don't want to pay much, but they also don't want to pay the lowest price because they, they know it's going to be crap. Yeah. So it's a really, really tricky thing to deal with in terms of um, making sure that you set and manage expectations around pricing. Yep. Uh, and uh, um, as Josh pointed out, look, you're going to have to hire some people who know how to navigate enterprise companies. It is a, it, it's, it's a skill that um, not many people have, yeah. that's for sure. No, and the price also is really complex if you're trying to do both as well without separating your product, without, without not even separating product, separating your brand and the whole company. Because yeah. if you're trying to still keep selling to the SMBs that you were and then to the enterprise at that same price point, like it just won't, you have to charge more to enterprise. That's the whole point. You can go to them, you can charge more, they're going to pay more. But if they can see on your website that you're charging this much to people who sign up online, yeah, that'll really undercut you. So that's another hard part. It's just you'll have a sales floor and then having the leadership to move that sales floor up and to keep move, pushing that up, that, that can be really, really hard. Sure. Um, so the next piece is support. Support is probably the cost that led the MBA who came in to say, we should go after the enterprise. Because if your product requires support, which a lot of B2B SaaS companies require some sort of support, um, whether it's just kind of offhand or it's set up or, or what have you. Um, that's probably what drove that. But enterprise has much um, stricter guidelines around what kind of support they need. Uh, they have just, higher demands, right? Ju- just You're email dealing- support's probably not going to cut it anymore. They're going to need a phone number of someone they can call if something's down, like um, uptime, all sorts of stuff. Well, these companies that – these enterprise companies are, are – um they're international. They're all yeah. over the world. Oh yeah, different time zones, and so they're going to need twenty-four by seven style support. Yeah. So that people in say Thailand are going to get the same level of service as people in say South America or or Eastern Europe, and uh, it could be a to your point, Josh. Like it, it is a pretty good indicator when you do need to start to move upstream because you'll start to incur those costs as from a customer support standpoint, when you've got too many customers, so you got 10,000 customers, your cost of customer support is going to be much higher than if you just got a hundred, right? Well, uh, that's as to your point, like that's a great indicator that like that MBA person, that that fictitious, 
um, fictional person that you mentioned yeah. earlier, like um, is it fictional? Fictional? Yeah, that's a word. It. Yeah, that's a word. All right. No, it's okay, not. Whatever. But that's okay. <laughs> that fictional person. There it is. <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, is going to identify. Hey, look, your customer success pro. Sorry, your your support program. The costs are just way too high. Let's start to target com- markets where that's not as yeah. uh, significant of an issue. You mentioned um, languages and all those different regions as well, and that strikes like me like uh, in the fictional MBA. <laughs> 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 that, but no, it just strikes me how back to you don't enterprise your product, you enterprise your company. Like you're yeah. not done when you've translated your strings into six different languages and you go, okay, we're done. Or 20 no. or 30 languages or however many you're going to support. You can't just go, well, that was easy. We just need to translate these strings and we're done. Now we're, now we're an enterprise product. Oh, no, no, no. You have to offer support in those languages. So someone's going right. to call from India and you have to be able to give them support. And it's just, or, or do you, and just defining that, uh, just again, it's not just enterprising the product, it's enterprising your whole company. That's right. And customer success, um, we a lot of companies have these, especially in the B two B world, where it's really account management, but it's kind of account management on steroids. Yeah, um, they're going to have to hire another level of individual to to keep those enterprise style companies um, happy. Uh, these are people who know how to operate in those businesses. They're going to be yeah. very comfortable working with. They're probably from those, that industry. Yeah, but not only from that industry, but they're going to work really well with those sales reps who are good at or operating you hope they do. in those. Well, I hope so. <laughs> hope otherwise, so. otherwise it's all for now, right? Yeah. But you're going to have to upskill that team without a doubt. Like that is an absolute. So and um, it's actually a good that. illustrator of that growth because they go from customer success, which was probably just sales doing renewals. It was just account renewal. It's pretty easy. Let me renew at the same rate or you need 10 more they licenses or what have you. They go from to proactive. They should. That's, yeah, they, they really have from, to demonstrate that success for the client and make sure the client isn't just renewing, but the client is successful. Yes. And they. so so uh, I always say to, to the you know, people who, I, who, who ask about customer success, it's always if you want to go into enterprise, you, you have a CSM team that is, goes from reactive to proactive. They go from managing two to 300 accounts to managing 20 to 30 accounts. Yeah. Um, and you have to lop off the bottom in, of those 20 to 30 and say, we're not gonna give them the same level of treatment. We'll have people who can help with the renewal process if need be yeah. or other issues. Otherwise they go to support. And so that support and customer success and that sales program really needs to get developed with the enterprise in mind. Yep. Um, otherwise, uh, it's going to become unsustainable. You're, you're, the, the cost that you're trying to save with the acquisition of those new customers is going to be a wash if you don't have the right sales no, certainly. support and CSM model. Yeah, I felt like um, I've, I've said I probably said on this on this podcast once or twice that uh, strategy is not what you choose to do; it's what you choose not to do. So, having strong leaders yeah. who are smart enough to know. Yeah, these this bottom third or more of companies, we're done. And we've got to move on. We're not going to renew them. And that's money we're not going to get right now. But we believe that this strategy will work and that over the long over the long term, we're going to make that up with some with these other accounts that we are going to focus on. Um, last thing we want to plug was finance. Um, finance will have to update all sorts of things. They obviously if you're enterprising your products because you expect to grow. And if you're expecting to grow, you expect some sort of exit. Um, whether that's an acquisition or going public. 
And your finance team has to have years of data demonstrating that. And so they're going to have to do a lot of work as well to make sure that your company's set up for that. Yeah. And that brings us to the product. Uh, and this is, wow. So every place that I've gone to where we've gone to enterprise the product, the very first thing you need to realize is you got this product market gap where your product exists now and what the market needs in the enterprise. That gap is going to be really wide in the beginning and all you need to recognize that and you got to recognize in your sales process that you're going to lose more deals because of that and you need to be okay with it Yeah. Uh, while you're making the investment in the product to close that gap over time. Because you just can't do it over a weekend. You can't do it in a sprint. No. It takes years to do it. And so you just slowly chip away uh, and focus on that strategy of providing an enterprise-grade product. And so just recognize um, and recognizing in the beginning um, that you aren't going to have, you're going to have this huge gap between where you are and where you need to be. Uh, and being okay with that and being comfortable with it. Because if you're not, what you're going to do is you're going to have a lot of false starts. Yeah. And you, you'll pull the plug on your enterprise effort. But then six months later, you're going to have an enterprise customer call you and say, I want your product. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're, you're going to get reeled back into that. And, and it's just it's much easier if you just recognize it up front and be okay with it. Yeah. So we tried to put together a few things that Kyle and I ran into when it came to um, enterprising your product, stuff that you're going to deal with is you're going down this many year long effort to, to actually do this new product. So the first one is scale. That one's pretty obvious. Um, with enterprise, you're going to get a lot more scale. Uh, yes. But it will scale in ways that you didn't think of. So there's not just the number of users. You would have had a lot of users with a bunch of small accounts. I know for me, where I'm at right now, we've ran into all sorts of stuff that stuff that was designed years ago back when they thought, well, we'll never have a team that's greater than 15 that would ever use this. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. now there's, hun there's hundreds, thousands, even tens of thousands of users. Like there's all sorts of like type of heads that they only thought would ever show a max of three or four names in there. Well, no, now there's potentially thousands of names that could match right. whatever you were typing in there. So there's just little stuff, both technical in terms of users and uptime, but also in terms of product that like, oh, we didn't even think about that when you think about the tens of thousands of users in this account versus the 15 users in the account that was what they originally scoped. It's, it's one of the, so here's a good indicator that you're dealing with a scalable thing. Um, uh, at least from the product uh, standpoint, is when you start to talk about how can I upload a CSV of a bunch of data, right? That's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. You, you Look, your product is not designed in a manner that <laughs> is, is performant for uh, or, or reasonable for that marketplace. Um, yeah, if you're doing user management through CSV upload, that, yeah, that's a great example of something that is in desperate need of some scale. And something yeah. that never we never thought there'd be more than 10 users in an account. So why would you ever need to bulk edit them? Um, so next is single sign-on. That I actually love single sign-on. I can't tell you how many times before single sign-on really got big. I remember going to visit accounts, visit users, doing user uh, ethnographic and, and other user research stuff, and watching users try to use the tool. And there were so many users. I was shocked how many users are just trained that every time they need to log into a place, they click forgot password, enter the email, get the email, <laughs> yes. click on the link, and that's every day how they get into the app. I'm shocked how many people are out there like that. So I actually love single sign-on because it's 
it, it, for all intents and purposes, eliminates that need, or at least it bottlenecks it at the single sign-on tool instead of them needing to do it in our app. Man, I remember seeing so many people do that. It was so heartbreaking. It's, what I really like about SSO, though, is that it's become so easy to plug in to all of the applications out there right now that this is not an enterprise-only thing anymore. Actually, yeah. we're, I'm, I, we're, we've, it started with enterprise, right? Josh, you remember five, six, seven, maybe even 10 years ago, like we were, we're when, when single sign-on started, um, yeah. you saw it in your enterprise companies were requesting it. So it typically was, if you had two or three versions of your application, it would go in your top-tier product. Yeah. Well, now it's in all of them. Yeah. And the expectation... Standard. The expectation is, is is in all of them. So that's a pretty good example of how enterprising product uh, over time um, is really making the whole experience elsewhere, even in the mid-market and SMB solutions, making it even better. Yeah, and it's gotten a lot there's not many now. of those. Uh, there's not no. many of those examples at all. No, Usually not. it slows it down, <laughs> uh, <laughs> makes it uglier. It but, really uh, does. In this case, it really does. It, uh, yeah, in this case, it actually uh, went the other way. Do you remember how there was there was LDAP, and then you're trying to move everyone over to SAML 1, and then I yeah. think there was SAML 1.1, and then finally SAML 2. And I think that one's, like, now you can pretty much just build SAML 2 and you're good. But, man, it still sucks, though, because you still have to have someone on your side that helps configure that, helps set it up, <laughs> that is doing all the back end with all, like, there's still a lot of work. So back to customer acquisition costs, someone on your side has to help them set up SSO, and it's it's just a pain. With oh, that, no, no, I want to add. I want to add one thing to that. So, one thing that we didn't mention before, as far as enterprising the rest of your company, is implementation specialists. Right? Oh, People yeah. are going to help come in and help implement your product at their location. Every, everywhere I've gone, they've had these uh, these yeah. type of roles, and so required consulting um, or professional services. They'll come up with all sorts of names for it, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so next on our list was around integrations. Um, because the integrated, like enterprise loves integrated products. I, also with that, not only do they love integrated products, there's a couple different reasons for that. One, they don't wanna duplicate work, right? If you're duplicating work, you're reducing the value that you are creating for them. Two, they, if you have to, if some human has to do something that you can automate, there's, it's prone to errors. So that's gonna be a huge issue. Um, and it's just key to like getting them to actually use your tools. You have to be all integrated. But that again is not as simple as here's our API. Like here's, a, here's our Google Doc that has all our API calls. Just go look at that and you're good. Um, you're gonna have to provide all sorts of support around that. Um, you might have to rate it, control it. You'll have, you, and that's just if you're working directly with the client, then there's all the middleware vendors and building an ecosystem around middleware vendors. You're gonna learn about Dell Boomi and all those other tools that <laughs> suck building integrations to them. Um, Oh man, I kind of just, my heart breaks for this person who's just like, oh yeah, integration's so easy. I'll just give them our REST API. We're, we're done. <laughs> like, oh, I wish it was that simple. Yeah. Um, I remember in particular where we worked before, we're spending a lot of time with, um, with this. We had someone at our company, again, back to it's not just, you don't just enterprise the product, you enterprise the company, but like working with someone who was trying to build this ecosystem and referral network of third party integrators companies that would come in and then customize the product for their needs at that company but they have to pay them while paying us for our product so there's this additional cost the company has to get used to but that was just how it was done you had this whole network and referral network of here's all these other companies with three or four companies that their job was just to come in and configure our product to be used there 
Yeah, and it's amazing that those things ever existed. And, you know, I, I almost wonder that if as we get better at our job in the product side, if we put those kinds of companies out of business. Maybe. Um, over time, it'll take a long time. I mean, I, I also I think it's worth mentioning that, look, integrations, much like SSO, integrations were really, they were born out of the need from the enterprise market, to your point. Yeah. Uh, but they also... That's another benefit that we're starting to see um, the SMB mid-market type solutions take advantage of. So if you again, yeah. if you got three versions of your product, SSO and integrations, you may actually have that available to all of those packages. You maybe not, but yeah. I, I, at least SSO certainly seems to be the case uh, in at most places. I, I go ahead. I will say on that point. We, we've done all sorts of analysis, analyses here on renewal rates, which you will as a B2B SaaS company. Renewal is really critical to your business. There is nothing across all these different factors. We looked at industry. We looked at different product usage stuff. The number one predictor of a client renewing was did they, were they using an integration? Were they using one of our integrations? That was the number one predictor on whether or not someone would renew. So back to there's, there's massive benefit to it. People use your tool if it's integrated. It's e- sure. It makes it easier for them because it's part of their process. So, yep. All right. So the fourth one. Uh, wow. Configurable roles. So this is where I see so many companies start off in the wrong wrong way. So when they architect a solution, they architect it with maybe a single role in mind. Like, well, let's just make him an admin. Um, and yeah. Josh and I actually had to go through. I don't remember if you worked on the project, Josh, but had to go through and re-architect the roles at that company that we worked at. Yes. What an absolute nightmare that was. We, right? kinda, and it, we, we should were, plug Rusty. Rusty Smith, who's the UX designer on that, did some really great work on that. That was amazing. Rusty Smith and Anna, uh, Anna Gregorian. Yes. Yeah. And that's um, right. Yeah. They, they both um, did an amazing job on that. And, but a lot of times what happens is these companies that start um, to grow – they build and architect a solution that is MVP, and so they think about maybe one, maybe two roles, but they don't think about the long-term effect of just having one or two roles before. Wow, it gets too big. And when you start to when when you start to grow as a company, it's easier to sink your money or your investment back into features that are going to make more sales, not necessarily something that's going to make yeah. it more configurable. And so. Figure out early, early, early on in your product's um, life what and and if this were to grow, how many roles would you want? Yeah, uh, and make sure that you account for that in your product experience, because undoing that is uh, it's 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 tough job. We just did a we just finished, <laughs> I say finished with quotation marks this big project called Wrap Roles and Permissions R A P Wrap. Um, and it's funny because the engineer, when we first were talking about it, said, oh, yeah, that'll take me a month. It was over a year trying to do this. Like, it was just this huge, <laughs> incredibly painful project. Um, but it was around that that because there's all sorts of, like, people that we'd never would have thought of before. Like, what about these people who need to be able to in, go into the system and do X? But I don't want them to do Y and Z because they shouldn't be allowed to do Y and Z because of um, – all sorts of different reasons. There might be compliance or all sorts of different reasons why they can't do Y and Z, but I need them to do X. And so there's all sorts of roles that you never would have thought of before. That's right. That brings us to number five. And this is basic reporting or slash metrics slash insights, whatever you want to call them. 
I Josh, I built so many of these things. It's it, over my career. It's just it's just insane. And it's typically it's it's this is your ROI story for the most part. This is yeah. your ROI story yeah. story. And if you've got good, um, if if you could if you could explain through reports or metrics that they are saving money by using your product, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um. So plan on making that yeah. investment because it's going to take. Um, a lot of time and effort. And look, um, we everywhere I've gone, you have almost an entire team of people invested in um, building new reporting or metrics or insights. Yeah. But there's a point that Josh I think is going to make just now is you've got to stop at like, some point. You just tell. I can tell I'm just like chomping at the <laughs> to like yes, tell the story because we do. We've got to stop <laughs> at some point. Well, it's just so. First off, why? If you have now these enterprise companies selling, they're spending five, six, or even seven figures on your tool. They need to know and be able to easily see that they're getting more value out of it than they're spending. Because they can clearly see the expense line, but they can't always see the benefit. And so this is how you're supposed to demonstrate that benefit is through your reporting and different metrics and that kind of stuff. Um, but the story I was going to reference was just, how be careful how you structure that team. I, it's just... There, there are lots of times where teams go, well, we need a reporting, so we'll build a reporting team. And then the reporting team keeps building, reporting, keeps building, reporting, keeps building, reporting, and they will just keep going. There, there will be no end to reporting requests. <laughs> it will never, ever, right. ever end. You will always find new reports you can build or new stuff you can do or, hey, wouldn't it be great if I could just add this column or see this in a pie chart, which, by the way, don't ever do pie charts. Pie charts are evil. I hate pie charts. <laughs> okay, but it's just to say, look, reporting and metrics really should be part of every team. Um, and it should be bro like, think of this also, think of this in terms of the problem you're trying to solve. So we actually spun a team up here, but we don't call them reporting. We call them success visibility. Your goal isn't really to provide a report. Your goal is to demonstrate to the client that you're generating more value than the cost that they're spending on you. And that might that be name. through a report that might be through a report, but it could be through something else. I love that name. It actually like it, it is a descriptive, yeah. like a name of what they're trying to achieve that's that's fabulous no, I, lo I love i love that team and what they're doing now a lot of it is reports but it might be something totally different so okay so after that you're going to get to security this will vary a lot depending on well not after that like we're, we're just running through our list but security which is very a lot depending on the industry i'm in the hr industry so security comes up all the time this yep. constantly comes up for us um, you'll have com um, audits, you'll have all sorts of fun stuff. There's all sorts of things that you'll have to do now. I lost local admin on my laptop because of security and infosec requirements, and it sucks. I miss local admin on my laptop. I miss being able to, while I'm on a trip, play a video game, but now I can't install a video game <laughs> because I lost local admin because of security requirements around who has what permissions and data and all sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of crazy loopholes that we have to go through just to be able to view data and we have to do it in this Amazon web server hosted in, like there's just security will become a major, major, major issue. It certainly will. Yeah. You'll, you'll probably end up, end up hiring people for that. But let's talk about internationalization and localization. Yeah. So this is a massive investment and probably... I mean, Josh, what do you think? The, the last investment you should be making as you start to enterprise your, your product. It, it should be incrementally done over time. Yeah. Maybe you start with localizing your product using You're you know, going like to find someone strings. who can translate your strings for you. 
Yeah, but the then, first like, time the first time's hard though, because the first time you realize how many strings you have inside your app that aren't that can't be localized or that can't be um, translated because of you know you've got this variable variable input here. So the first time's actually really hard, and then it gets a lot easier to add more languages. And then you go to a country where they are very verbose in their uh, language or their yes. their word length, and then you realize it doesn't fit. Yep. And your UI and oh, then yeah. you go back to redesign. <laughs> you only thought uh, 45 characters was more than enough. Why would they need more? Oh, no. They need more than 45 characters. Yeah. Those countries, they just need title. to truncate everything, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but, oh, date formatting? Ugh. Yes. Date We've, formatting? Oh, I just ran into a date formatting issue a couple of weeks ago. We were having a bug and whammo, like it was just a silly date format issue over in... Uh, over in Europe, I'll tell and you. it just it takes a lot of time to make those things done. And look, when you go international, you don't just go international. You start with specific markets. So you start with Australia, the UK. Uh, you start yep. with Canada. Then you move into Western Europe, and you target countries where um, languages are spoken most likely, like German. Uh, Spanish, yep. uh, and then and then you start to move out from there. But you don't just say, "Hey, we're international." Like you tip, you have to actually chip away at those languages and those markets. Uh, otherwise, you this is um, um, you don't have a product. This is all uh, assuming that you're a U.S. based company trying to grow outside the U.S. But certainly, you know, you're going to follow culturally places that are similar to where you started generally because they're the ones that are going to adopt your product the most easiest. I got to mention something though. We um, we had in our app where it would say, hey, first name, hey, Gary, hey, Jeff, hey, Jill. You know, it would just say that at the very beginning at the top, which was great here in the U.S. Like, people really liked it, and we got really positive that's feedback. Right. It's like, hey, this tool is, is kind of hip and nice to you, whatever. Like, hip. Yeah, that's what they'd say. But we quickly went to sell um, in the EU, and they're much more formal. They don't like that's that. Right. They're not Mr. okay Solomon. with calling people by their first name. They are Mr. Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones and Mrs. You know, like they're they're much more formal. So it's it's kind of funny how many changes we had to make for little stuff like that. That just like, oh come on, relax. Why can't we call you by your first name? Oh, no, 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 they don't like that. We're a very professional organization over here, and we want Mister and Mrs. Yeah, and so that brings us to number eight: enterprise SKUs. <laughs> eight so of eleven. You, we should have told people at the beginning how many there are. There's eleven. <laughs> yeah, there's eleven, but it could be more. We'll Keep just going. think of some more, maybe. Keep going. But listen. Uh, the enterprise SKU shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, we've talked about it already a little bit. Um, typically, you'll you'll start to break out actually a solution and sell. Sorry, you, your your existing solution and say, look, we're going to build these two or three things into it right now. Then we can go into that like enterprise space, and at that point, uh, you continue to add to that, and yeah. a lot of your new solutions are going to go into that experience, uh, and then your other SKUs may or may not get those. Yeah. So. Ex expect that data privacy and protection that one's next that will come up a lot have you ran into gdpr much yes does that come up an issue for you do you remember when what was it yes before gdpr i can't remember what it was just before that but do you remember there was um safe harbor there was safe yeah. harbor and then there was something else and now there's gdpr and it's just like this will constantly keep changing keep evolving <laughs> it'll be great you know how it's going to happen someone who's listening to this is you're going to be selling your product just fine and then all of a sudden you're getting an email from someone that says you're compliant with 
XYZ, right? Blah, blah, blah. And and data privacy and other, other kind of stuff. Like and then everybody's this, right? going to scramble. <laughs> Literally everybody in your business is going to scramble. Like, what are they talking about? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to Google it because you have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to be like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to us. Of course not. And then you're going to send it off to whoever your external legal counsel is. And then they're going to go, oh, no, 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 no. This definitely applies to you. <laughs> and then you're going to go, suck. Now our whole roadmap is trashed for six months because we got to figure out how to remove this data um, just to be uh, for data privacy. And this this really just tied to number ten as well, which is compliance. Both will come up. They are different, but our nine and ten data privacy protection and then compliance. I, there's so much stuff. I sell. I, I mentioned earlier. I sell our, our product is used in the HR space and in HR industry. And there's so much compliance stuff that we have to follow. Um, again, related to security, related to the data privacy, GDPR, all sorts of fun stuff. FCRA? Um, no, we don't run into that no. one because we don't have any no, um, financial data. So fortunate to have that. But I'm sure someone else listening to this probably does. And they're probably Googling that right now because they're like, <laughs> oh, wait, does that apply to us? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and it sucks. So but you're going to run into a lot of issues. Up. You'll run into a lot of issues with uh, data, data privacy and protection. That's really being pushed... Uh, in the EU right now. They've just got much stronger laws around yeah. what is uh, protection of a consumer or an individual or user. Uh, yeah. And that's that's where you really kind of run into that. So as you do grow your products, you're going to, sorry, you, uh, you, you move upstream. So from SMB to mid-market up into enterprise, those enterprise companies are going to have locations in the EU. When yep. they have that, they're going to have people who are going to be protected by the EU standards. Uh, and uh, they're going to ask you questions like, are, are you compliant with GDPR? Yep. And the answer what, is, what do you think of GDPR? I don't know. Like just as, a, as an average consumer? I'm just curious. I think for, uh, okay, am I speaking as like Kyle, the product as, guy? No, not Kyle the product guy. We'll come back to that one. I want to ask first, just as an average consumer of software, what do you think of GDPR? I don't care. No? Because no, you're typical American. That's your problem. You're an American. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like my privacy is being. But I, I think I just have a different interpretation of my personal privacy and protection yeah. than the typical European, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Now, now I'm sure there's people that out there that would disagree, but like I just, I don't feel as though my personal privacy needs to be protected as much as perhaps the, the typical European. I, I you don't, know, Josh, you look. know, I feel the same way, but I do, <clears throat> I do applaud the fact that you and I are, we're very technical. And most people listening to this podcast are very technical. And so we're pretty comfortable. Yep. We understand more of what's going on and we understand why it's happening and what's going on. So we're much more comfortable with that. And more importantly, we're also capable of understanding what they're asking for and when to say no and to decline access and all sorts of different stuff. But to most users out there, they don't understand it. They can't understand it. Well, I, I, and that's at least why these really laws to, exist. And that's why the laws exist. So there's actually yeah. a lot about GDPR that I think it is to be applauded. I know as a product person, though, man, it's tough. It's it. Well, so to to even go a step further, so you see, like, look, GDPR and 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 protocols like that were born out of. Um, what we just witnessed a couple of a couple of well, was a few weeks ago with Zuckerberg in Washington yeah. talking yeah. to Congress, right? He he was called in to do um, and share information about the practices there at Facebook, and the reason why is because there were questions about the legality and the amount of sharing that was happening with people's information, and 
that is just a perfect like that is a perfect example of of it starting to hit the U.S. Uh, to a degree where we actually might consider some kind of regulation. Let's let's all hope that no regulation happens because we all witnessed our senators and Congress people uh, not clearly understanding what technology is about. So let's hope they don't try and regulate this. You know, I got to plug, you got to go watch the bad lip reading version of that. (laughs) They they did a bad lip reading cover over it. It's so good. Go watch it. It literally has, the the questions have to be better. Yeah, the questions are better, but man, it's funny. You got to go check it out. Okay, so number 11 on our list, which in retrospect, we should have combined two of these and done a top 10. (laughs) But number 11 (laughs) on our list is government. After enterprising your product, someone's going to want to go sell it to government. And man, government is like 10x on all of these things. FedRAMP. Oh my gosh, FedRAMP, the worst thing ever <laughs> will haunt you forever <laughs> fed ramp if you want to if you want to suss out if you're interviewing <clears throat> any company right now and you want to know if you want to work there ask them if they sell to the government if they have a group of people that sell in the government walk out of the door <laughs> don't but, turn back. but real quick, let me tell you why let me tell you why i'll give you a good example we had a sales guy who said he was going to go try and pitch our product to government and the first thing he did was add three zeros to the end of every prize. <laughs> of course, because uh, no, no, toilet kidding, seats cost $10,000, right? But still, but still, it's just, it's more expensive to support them. For the first time, I'll tell you this, for the first time, you will be asked, can we host your product on premise? <laughs> That's when you what know you you're a government. About? I was asked that question today, Josh. Oh, were today. you? Today, yes. <laughs> Oh, man. And then you just die inside and you're like, well, that's great. I'm glad we're back to 1997. You're going to host our product. <laughs> Josh is right, though. Like if you were selling into the government space in, in the government market, it's just such a slog because they're going to 10x you on all of these things. And the interesting thing about this, um, well, I would say not only government, but healthcare is another one where it's super, super yeah. regulated. Now, Compliance, now, yeah, all that. And a lot of times the people who are asking questions, especially in the government and healthcare space, are people that don't understand technology. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the regulations. And they are literally just a person who is just checking a box in the evaluation process of your product. So oftentimes you get caught um, in a position to win deals or close a deal or renew a deal is you're building a check boxing solution. And yeah. that's usually when you Sadly. know you, you're, in a, you, you're in the early stages of, of enterprise. Oh, you know, I just remembered a number 12 that we left off the list. Branding. Branding oh, the product. Yes. Oh, man. That one's also painful. We just did one where a company, like, they felt like our logo powered by was too loud. <laughs> it was like, really? Come on. But no, you will have to brand. Branding will come up, branding the emails, branding the in-app experience for users, any external users to the app, branding it for them as well. Because now it's not your tool. It's their company that you're Josh, representing. I will one-up you on this one. Please. Our team just reduced the size of our logo on one of our primary products just because so many people were frustrated in the enterprise really? space. Because yes. Man. The branding is really one of those things. Uh, gosh, seven or eight years ago, um, there was so much talk about white labeling your product, right? So basically yeah. just ripping out your brand and allowing them plug to in plug their in their own brand. Yep. Um, that pretty much 
for the most part, most enterprise companies who are buying products right now, um, especially the um, you know the acquiring teams that 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 allow people to sign off on on software purchases, yeah, um, they know that's oh, wow. a no go for the most part. I mean, our community stuck together and we all kind of said no at the same time. However, there has been a push recently, and I think Domo um, is a good example of a company that has handled this in an elegant way. Um, if you use a product, oh, yeah. this, is, this is Domo Plus, and then they've got your company logo. Hmm. So they've got two logos, top left, and it's Domo Plus, you know, Josh's whatever Josh service, company. HR service. Coca-Cola, yeah. or who, Nike, whoever, it, yeah. Exactly, and it, yeah. it looks really, really nice. They've done mm. a really good job. I don't know who did that at Domo, but they did a fabulous job. At least I think they did because what they're doing is they're appeasing the enterprise, but also Keeping sticking their with their brand. Yeah. And that that right there is, I think, a good move. So last thing we'll plug. You, again, we've mentioned a couple of times, but you really need some strong leadership to make this work on all sides, on the sales side, on the executive side. Um, certainly on the product side to know where and when to push back on some of these things, which of these things can wait, which of things we need to do a little bit now and some more later, because you will spend years um, doing this. It will take a long time to fully enterprise your product. It's going to slow you down as a company. Yeah. It's gonna, you're going to lose deals along the way at, because you don't have that product market uh, fit. Your customers are going to want the moon. Yeah, and they're they will become, want to jerk they, you around and say, this is what we want. When can we have it? And we'll they expect were gonna commitments be your, on dates. It's the worst. They're going to be your least favorite client. Uh, so yep. there you go. If you are looking to consider changing your career, do it before you try to sell the enterprise <laughs> space. <laughs> it's, it's still the right move from a business perspective. Just recognize that it is so much work. It is hard to do. Um, yeah. But it's frankly, it's the right move. That's why so many yep. companies do this because it is the right move. All right, so that's going to do it for this podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to We Need Another Meeting on your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review. We love reviews. We really, really appreciate them. And check us out at weneedanothermeeting.com. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate your time.